Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. I got to go. got a pediatrician appointment. I feel like this. having small children is just either you are sick or they are sick or you're trying to stop them Nobody from being is sick. sick. It's just like a thing. And <laughs> I'm just like trying to be a good dad and go. But anyway. Hello, welcome to another episode of The Weeds on the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Matthew Iglesias, here with Jane Coaston and a couple empty chairs because life is complicated. It uh, is. It continues to be a deeply complicated well, we got a good expression. topic for you. I, w- I would not want to allow anybody else into this conversation because it's so important. It's critical. Okay, and it's, it's the question of scams or grift. Yeah, as I guess we call them the flim internet. flams, cons. But I, but I think, but I think it's good to start with a specific case that that you wrote about recently. I did, and this is uh, young Jacob Wall, who I'll say is not a person who I have been super familiar with, but right. I recently saw him. Other people making fun of him right. as he went on a tour of Minneapolis. And right. it was one of these things where he had clearly already become a joke in a certain precinct of the internet, but I didn't know who he was. So who who is he? Let's let's back back to the beginning of the Jacob Wall story. So Jacob Wall, before in the before times before Trump, uh Jacob Wall was a failed teen hedge fund manager. Um Jacob Wall is now 21 years old. He uh was a hedge fund manager. The stories behind it are a little bit are kind of complicated, but all in all, he got banned from the National Futures Association and was getting in a fair amount of trouble. And then— So he was running some kind of scam. He was running a scam. And okay. then he ran. He decided to run an entirely new scam, um, which is to become a enthusiastic, some would say sycophantic supporter of Trump, especially on Twitter and on the Internet. He became that person who replied first to every single one of Trump's tweets, including things about, like— Trump should be dictator for life. Trump is the like everything. It, it became something that I think a lot of people thought that like this is an elaborate joke, like right. a very Andy Kaufmanesque. Like it's a kind of humor that I just don't understand, but clearly it's a joke. It was not. So while many people believe that this was an elaborate joke, some people apparently 
thought that Jacob Wall may or may not be like an actual real conservative figure. And he rose to somewhat mainstream prominence when he claimed he had proof that um, special counsel Robert Mueller had been credibly accused of sexual assault. He did not have proof. He had made the entire thing up in what I, I termed a dumbfounding display of abject nonsense resulting in a press conference that was even more nonsensical. Um, He was alongside Jack Berkman, who's a former Republican lobbyist, who once said that he introduced legislation to bar gay players from the NFL. One, a thing lobbyists cannot do. And two, (laughs) a stupid thing to do that his own brother said, yeah, he just likes to get it, trying to get attention for himself. So we're not dealing with like tip top minds here. But anyway, so Jacob Wall. He was at CPAC last week, though he was not permitted to present at CPAC. So he was in the lobby of the um, Gaylord National Resort and Convention Center, which is in National Harbor, which is in D.C., sort of. So he was there because he had done, and I, I am using this term in the loosest possible way, an investigation into Representative Ilan Omar, uh, who is the center of some measure of discussion and dismay right now for her uh, purported remarks that many people believe were anti-Semitic. A lot of Ilhan Omar controversies that are based on, if nothing else, words she did in fact utter. And then— This is is not one of those controversies. Now, to back up a little bit further— uh, there is a conspiracy theory that Representative Omar was married to her own brother. Now, one, there's no evidence this is true. Two, the conspiracy theory works that this was to help uh, Omar's brother, who is not her brother, get American citizenship. Um, so she has a real ex-husband. She has a real ex-husband. And the allegation is twofold. One is that this ex-husband is, is actually her brother. Right. And the other is that the marriage was a scam. To get uh, her brother um, U.S. citizenship. Now, there are a couple really obvious problems with this. One, there's no evidence that Ahmed Elmi, who is Omar's ex-husband, is her brother. No evidence whatsoever. Elmi is a British citizen whom Omar married in 2009 before separating from him in 2011, and they finalized their separation in 2017. Secondly, Let's say hypothetically in an imaginary world that is not this one, they were siblings. It is perfectly legal for a United States citizen to petition USCIS to bring a brother or sister to the United States, meaning that one would not have to participate in a sham marriage in order to do so. And then there's the fact that Elmi never received U.S. citizenship at all. He moved back to England, where he is from, uh, and is still there as far as I know, meaning that if under some bizarre circumstance, any of this were true, the entire reason for the marriage, which would be to get Elmi U.S. citizenship, never actually happened. Now, that's the facts behind this alleged conspiracy theory. But for Jacob Wall and for a fair number of people who are kind of in the weirdo grifter right, they saw an opportunity in this conspiracy theory. And so... Jacob Wall and uh, right-wing activist Laura Loomer, who some might remember from handcuffing herself to the doors of Twitter's New York headquarters to complain about being banned from the service, and also showing up at a uh, house hearing and screaming a whole lot about uh, how she was being treated unfairly by Twitter, they traveled to Minnesota, 
And they, in order to do this traveling, they told donors that they needed $25,000 because they needed to, and I'm quoting, conduct a meticulous investigation into Ilan Omar in order to ascertain the truth of the allegations against her. Yes. And I'll, I'll quote a little further. <clears throat> Patriots and lovers of freedom, we need your help to fund the effort to bring Ilan Omar's radical background to light. We need your help today. We have just 72 hours to raise $25,000 necessary to run an investigation and in a secure way that protects the lives of Jacob, Laura, and Ali. Ali is referencing Ali Alexander, a Republican opera- operative, and he's the founder of a MAGA-centric website called Cultitur three T's in culture, which is basically meant to track the activities of kind of MAGA-esque figures who have been banned from other social networking sites. And apparently the idea for the website came, according to Alexander, from being on acid. And during their time in Minnesota to do this sham investigation, the three repeatedly appeared on Periscope and other social media sites to demand money from donors. They referred to Minneapolis as Minneapolis Stan as it, and said that it was a Sharia law governed no-go zone and kept talking about their large security team that you weren't allowed to see. Right. So the the premise of this which I guess will be familiar to people who've heard conservatives talking about major European cities. Right. Is that there is no-go zones in which uh, non-Muslims sh- are Sharia not rules right. and the government has no interface. But this is Minneapolis. Right. So it's very – it's not different from things you might hear conservatives say about, I don't know, Stockholm or Paris. Uh, but there is something to me like inherently more absurd right. about making this claim I about think... a Midwestern American city. Um, I, I have been to Minneapolis. I cannot tell you that I went to every single part of Minneapolis. Um, but it it's I mean, this is a, a 64 percent white city. <laughs> Right. And uh, I'd like to read another quote from one of the videos that uh, Jennifer Brooks, who's a columnist at the Star Tribune in Minnesota, wrote, if you're not familiar with Minnesota, you don't know how this works. But the Islamist forces have taken over sections of the respective police departments. Um, And then she goes on to they explained in the same earnest tones they used to try and convince potential donors that it costs eight thousand dollars to get to Minnesota. (laughs) Again, we are talking about Minnesota. Home of the Vikings and Prince. Sure. Uh, major Delta hub. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So so flights to Minneapolis um, are not, not Eight. expensive. Right. And you do not uh, need – they claim they needed to price out three to four different security firms because the threats driving around Minneapolis were just too great. And again, this is Minneapolis we're talking about. And, you know, this ultimately ended as one might expect, which was a CPAC press conference in which Jacob Wool had to answer more questions about that time he tried to falsely accuse Robert Mueller of sexual assault, a confidential document that revealed absolutely nothing except that um, Rep. Omar used the term my brother when referring to people on Instagram, yes. which, um, you know, is a thing a lot of people do about people to whom they are close because um, sisters and brothers is a pretty common parlance in many cultures, as many people would know. But the reason why I thought this story was of particular interest is because, for one thing, 
Jacob Wall appears to be largely undeterred. He has been banned from Twitter because he did an interview with USA Today in which he proudly discussed um, sharing misinformation because he said accuracy is not the important part. And the fact, more to Twitter's point, that he planned to use fake left-leaning Twitter accounts to, quote, steer the left-wing votes in the primaries to what we feel are weaker candidates compared with Trump, which is a clear violation of Twitter's policy. But I think the... To me, the interesting thing about Wall and where I want to take this after mm-hmm. the break is that there are a lot of liars in politics, and there are certainly a lot of aggressive spinners and dirty tricksters and, you know, people trying to win, right? But the critical thing about Wall, right, I mean, the point about the $8,000 flight and the mysterious security detail is that he doesn't so much appear to be making up smears of Omar as leveraging smears against her into stealing people's money. Right. I think he is not making this, like, he did not come up with this conspiracy theory out of his own mind. He merely saw a conspiracy theory or saw a space for the expansion of a conspiracy theory, both here and against Robert Mueller. You know, there, the Robert Mueller instance is a little bit different because that really was him creating something. Right. But he saw that, you know, people on the right who are very supportive of Donald Trump hate Robert Mueller. Wouldn't it be great if there were sexual assault allegations a la Brett Kavanaugh against Robert Mueller? They could destroy Robert Mueller, i.e., let's create a conspiracy theory about this. And so— as you said, like he did not create the conspiracy theory against Representative Omar. What he did was monetize it. Right. So let's take a break and, and then let's let's talk about monetization. Yes. Support for the weeds comes from not another politics podcast from the Harris School of Public Policy. With the constant news cycle, there's a lot of noise out there. Opinions are plastered all over social media. Pundits are throwing out hot takes without any sort of context. And it's only getting worse as we dive farther into election season. We know that if you're listening to us at The Weeds, you're looking to cut through all this. And if you like this show, you might like Not Another Politics Podcast. Not Another Politics Podcast is produced by the University of Chicago Harris School of Public Policy. They want to take a research and data approach to analyzing hot-button issues and offer perspectives that go beyond the headlines. They cover a wide variety of topics in their episodes, but a few recent episodes that you can listen to include a deep dive into why women are underrepresented in U.S. politics or whether or not we can believe political surveys. You can listen and subscribe today at harris.uchicago.edu slash nap. That's N-A-P-P. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school 
that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. To me, this is interesting because as you say in your piece, you know, there's a certain historic symbiosis between, I think, conservative politics in America and a certain style of financial scamming. There's a there's sort of a, a conjunction in the arts of direct mail marketing right. in particular, you know, dating back to the 1970s and 1980s in which on the one hand, you know, there is a intellectual legacy of conservatism, you know, and uh, roots in certain Austrian scholarship and the fusionist enterprise in America in the 50s. But there is also, you know, the the story of direct mail fundraising and some of that to support causes, but some of it just to sort of help people make money up to the point where, you know, Donald Trump himself was described, he was described by Michael Cohn as a con man, uh, but also he was described in those terms by Marco Rubio right. during the primary, right? And I think that's true. I mean, I think that's a fundamental aspect of Trump's character. But in a certain key way, to, to Rubio, I think Rubio at one point thought that that was going to be like a devastating rejoinder. But like actually the movement that Rubio is part of has been quite congenial to that sort of person and that sort of thing over the years. Right. And I linked to this in um, my piece. There's a terrific piece uh, from a couple of years ago in The Baffler called The Long Con mm-hmm. that is about this dueling history of conservative outlets being also in some ways um, mouthpieces for grifts or cons uh, for, say, like the 23-cent heart miracle, the one Washington, the medical industry and drug companies refuse to tell you about. And this is being aimed at people who are subscribing to, at the time, say, Town Hall and Newsmax, uh, human events, for example, and fairly mainstream to right-leaning conservative publications. And it's something, you know, I I talked to a bunch of people on the right about this particular issue because it does seem that, like, as I say, that wherever conservatism has gone, they have been followed by grifters and con artists who want to make money out of whatever they see conservatism going towards. You know, you saw you saw this a lot during the Obama administration. I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot. You yeah. know, the entire development of kind of doomsday preppers or kind right. of— Glenn people- Beck was always selling these seed survival kits right. where you were going <laughs> to— Restart human agriculture or something. And we just had today, right, Erica Hananoki uh, was tweeting about um, there's this ad that has been going out to uh, email lists of conservative publications, Breitbart, Red State, Town Hall. Uh, They've sent a special sponsored message, and it's um, for some penny stock. But, like, the whole ad is about Trump, right? And the headline is, like him or not, Trump handed investors the opportunity of a lifetime. And it's – penny stocks are like – I don't want to say that all penny stocks are scams, but they're scams. This is a universe of 
scamming. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, good movie, uh, starts with penny stock scams. And, you know, conservative publications are making money off of these ads. And then the content of the ads themselves is shaped around conservative politics. Right. Um, You may also recall, I think we never did the piece about the Iraqi dinar. Yes. That got very complicated. <laughs> well, so this Iraqi dinar thing, ch- check it out on YouTube uh, if you're if you're out there, but do not buy Iraqi dinar. But it's this elaborate – it's somewhere between a conspiracy theory and a pro-Trump theory and a scam. But basically, there are people who are trying to get you to buy worthless Iraqi currency – on the theory that the Trump administration is imminently going to implement some kind of change that makes this worthless Iraqi currency very valuable. And there's nothing literally conservative about it. Like, on the one hand, the, the connection to Trump and conservative politics seems very tenuous. On the other hand, it is very much like Trump related marketing. Like, right. That's the pitch. Like if you if your instinct is not to like Donald Trump, the pitch is not even going to make any sense. Right. And I, I'd like to read um, th- one of these that uh, Eric Hananoki tweeted is from the Media Research Center, which Media Research Center, their basic job is to attempt to just push back on the left and yeah, they, they, what they, they, they what, do takes about the liberal media. Right, exactly. And so one of these ads is below is a special message from our advertiser, Infinite Income. And one of them is a... Dear reader, President Trump pulled a fast run on the deep state and the Dems, and it could give every American taxpayer the chance for $40,983. He pushed through this hidden clause deep in the new tax bill, and some folks are already collecting extraordinary amounts of money. Note the use of the word folks, sure. which I was like, ah, that, that's a tell. Oh, uh, I don't to, know about folks. To tell, you know, and uh, P.S., I'm worried the Dems will try to kill this deal as part of negotiation on the wall. But even if they do, anyone already getting checks will continue to get them. So click here now to learn more before the Dems try something sneaky. Ah, the Dems. And it, it's interesting because this is not new. You know, as we were saying, like, there's a long history of this kind of the grifter cons that have kind of surrounded or been kind of following around the conservative movement since, you know, the late 1960s, early 1970s, and kind of the rise of the new right of the 1970s. But it, it's so interesting now because the a lot of times the grifter cons now are becoming, in some ways, themselves conservative figures. You know, yes. there are, and I, I wrote about how, because conservatism is not just an ideology, it is a movement, and movements yes. have tendencies towards purity spirals where the best, you know, the best retort you can if one conservative can give towards another conservative is accusing them of being inadequately conservative or saying that they're a rhino Republican in name only or saying in the 2015, 2016 days, I believe we said cucks. But fortunately, I believe we Sorry. stopped saying that mercifully. But. Purity spirals are extremely attractive to grifters because where they see a purity spiral, they will dive right in and recognize that they can play upon the the very well-meaning desire of a lot of people to be really behind Trump or really conservative and say that, you know, you can do this. I'm the only real conservative standing up for Trump or standing up against the Mueller investigation, but I need $25,000 so I can visit Minnesota. Right. I mean, to me, the best example of not the best example of of, of scams in action, but of the sort of inter 
relationship between these things is the new um, the new publication, uh, the Bulwark, because the people the the idea of of the Bulwark is to be the opposite of this. They don't they don't portray themselves. They, they don't like the idea that they are never Trump conservatives or that they are anti-Trump. Um, but this is meant to be the highbrow, high-toned, hold the line, like we are serious, right. but we believe in conservative principles publication. And the interesting thing to me about this is that the sort of main shakers behind this, right, Jonathan Last and Jonah Goldberg, in an earlier iteration of Jonah Goldberg's career, like he was writing a book about how it was called liberal fascism. He was right there in the kind of the the middle ground between, um, I don't know what, trying to tell accurate things about politics and just ripping people off the way Jacob Wall does. There's this like little stream of money that you can dip into and that and that smart people who have a lot of integrity like Ramesh Panuru still occasionally he has his the party of death book right like you can just kind of like hop into this and like soak up some money and then hop out and like go have your highbrow publication the bulwark or go be like Ramesh and like have smart things about monetary policy and like how uh Republicans should uh you know be be making better fed appointments and things like that and it is an incredibly permeable space in which people who are fundamentally not con artists can still run a little grift and make money and people who are fundamentally con artists can – it's not just that the con can exist, but you can go to CPAC. Right. You can be – you know, and this is I think a, a difference because there is a – we have seen in the Trump era a new um, a new cohort of I think uh, – Resistance grifters? Resistance grifters is, is the term. Um, there are people out there trying to make – money off of other people's anti-Trump fervor. But you don't see mainstream progressive institutions embracing those people um, because they're running scams. <laughs> and to me, like, that's the fundamental difference is that, like, I don't know, like, it's it's the mainstreamness of Jacob Wolf. And I think that that is something, as I said, I spoke to a number of people about this particular issue, and some of the people I spoke with did not agree that this was a particular issue for just conservatism because movements have a tendency towards this. You see this in movements of varying political standards and you know this d drive towards purity, which attracts grifters to prey upon those who want to be pure within that movement. But I think that there is a sense among conservatives that because conservatives see themselves as being locked out of elite institutions um, or a view that they are, conservatives argue that, you know, they don't have their own kind of the New York Times of conservatism. You know, that was what Tucker Carlson said The Daily Caller was supposed to be kind of that's what he wanted it to be when he spoke about it at CPAC about like eight or nine years ago. Yeah. And that's not exactly what happened. It took another um, turn. They do not have access in their view to kind of the 
what one person called the cult of experts and technocracy. Uh-huh. And so in response, there's a sense of like, well, we don't need that. Like, oh, the New York Times said that. Well, we don't believe them. Or, you know, like this academic said this. We don't believe them. What is more desirable is radical authenticity and purity. And so that makes it very easy for grifters to say like, well, sure, the Wall Street Journal said I'm trying to trick you out of your money, but the Wall Street Journal is just a bunch of elite cucks. So why would you listen to them? And so I think that that is especially also at a time when a lot of people on the right just want to own the libs. Mm -hmm. And if you think that this person is adequately owning the libs and sure, they they may be asking you for $8,000 to fly to Minnesota, you know, small price to pay to own the libs and defeat them and rescue Trump. But it, it is interesting to see a, a movement that has in part decried authority or not so much authority as decried calls for academic or kind of reasonable authority, which then makes them vulnerable to people who are grifting or conning people. And then the only authorities that could stop them, no one wants to listen to. So I have a slightly different take on this, a hotter take. Okay. And we're going to take a break. But I think the problem here is that conservative politics itself is a con. Okay. Let me lay out. This is my my vulgar worldview, right? (laughs) But we have in the United States a form of political democracy. The people choose. They could so choose, were they so inclined, policies that advance the interests of the majority. Other people prefer economic policies that advance the interests of a wealthy minority. So that seems like a challenging sell. Right? Like, why would you have politics that cause inequality to explode while the overall growth rate slows down? How could you make that work? Well, you would need to build a powerful political movement, right? And one thing that movement would need to do is it would it would really need to decry not mainstream institutions because they've locked you out, but like fact-seeking as an enterprise. Right. And you create like this is what Sidney Blumenthal called the counterestablishment. Right. Is this whole network of institutions that sort of parallel the structure of universities and journalism and things like that. But instead of conducting research and teaching and journalism, like it's it's media, but it's not journalism, you know, and it's like they're publishing PDFs, but they're not doing research. Because you don't want to explain, oh, here is a really smart set of policy ideas that will help further enrich an already wealthy minority because, like, that's not good marketing. But you also don't want, well, here's how to make most people better off because that won't achieve the goal. So what you need instead is this series of conjuring tricks. And that's why you have, you know, you can talk about, like... People sometimes portray conservatism as being in this fallen state, right? But it's like Ronald Reagan was a B-list movie star who acted alongside trained chimpanzees. And Donald Trump is that for a new era. Like, he's an entertainer and a, and a flimflam man. And uh, it's what it's what conservatives are all about. Like, not each one as an individual, but like the movement as a whole is meant to 
pull the wool over people's eyes. And so it becomes a fertile ground for individual wool eye pullers or people who and and it's true there's a difference like wool is not serving the interests of the movement he's serving himself and like what you're supposed to do is do you know be a be a good soldier like the guys at the nra or grover norquist and like act on behalf of of the cause but it's like it's a scam at its root so so that's my fair and balanced view okay um i i disagree with you but i do think that Conservatism has a lot of different inputs and a lot of different outputs. Something that interests me is the degree to which a lot of conservatives get extremely mad, not at liberals, but at other conservatives about various things. Because, you know, I actually spoke with uh, Matthew Continetti, who is the editor-in-chief of the Washington Free Beacon earlier Uh, today for a podcast. And, you know, we talked about that at a certain point. There, There is relatively little agreement as to what conservatism is. But I would say that there is a lot of agreement that it's very important to be very conservative among conservatives. It's becoming increasingly less trendy to be a libertarian conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, there was kind of a out. I was, I was about to say outbreak, but that sounds mean. It was, there was about to be kind of a flowering of libertarian conservatism around like 2014, 2015. That seems to have been limited. Now, conservative populism is more popular, so to speak. Conservatism is an actual ideology that is based on, in one sense, you know, in the kind of Edmund Burke, the kind of originalist conservatism on preserving religious values or the, you know, the concept of what was, because what was is probably going to be better than what will be. And more recently, it has been largely based on this idea that individuals and not merely individuals, but families are better at running their own affairs than the government would be. And that big government is bad and limited government is good. I think the issue is that once you kind of extrapolate from there, it's very difficult to take conservative ideology and put that into conservative practice in a way that is something people would want to get behind. You know, I've talked to a lot of conservatives about this, about the issue of like, is conservatism itself, you know, when you explain conservatism or talk about conservatism, is it inherently popular? Do people want to be a part of it? Uh And, you know, there's a lot of debate on that subject. And I'd argue that in some ways, conservatism, unless you add something else in, you know, conservatism is a hard pitch for people because and then it you know, it becomes a hard pitch for people when you tell people that, you know, what you think of as being this very important government program and what other people think of as a not very important government program. That's going to be a disagreement among conservatives. Well, there's the hard pitch and there's the easy pitch, right? Because like the hard pitch is this philosophy of individualism and limited government. Right. As opposed to just like programs that already exist and I happen to enjoy, you know, are good. But then, like, the easy pitch for conservatism is that, like, all of the social norms that currently exist are the good ones. And that's always, like, you want to talk about, like, what is popular in conservatism, right? Like, what's very popular, you know, the the popular aspect of conservatism, right, is, like, new claims that people of color are making are bad and destroy free speech, Uh, But also, like, being too mean about Israel is anti-Semitism and not at all political correctness out of control. And nobody should ever say anything bad about the troops. But also political correctness is the worst. Right. There's this, like, sort of not very coherent jumble of 
particular propositions that right. amounts to the very coherent proposition that like the existing order is good and that people who are trying to upset the apple cart are bad. Right. And like that – we could call that like uh, – I don't know. I'll call that Burkean conservatism. And like I think that that is like a very commonsensical – and like popular and like historically winning view, right? And then there's like Barry Goldwater conservatism, right. which is like you might think you enjoy collecting Social Security benefits, but actually it's bad. And that's like that's a tough one because because people do like collecting Social Security benefits. Yeah, and I think that 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 was something that Trump was able to see is that uh, I think. Tucker Carlson gave a quote to Politico in 2016 saying that, like, t Trump didn't run as an ideological conservative and Republicans were like, we like that guy. Right. That, that guy who's talking about health care for everyone and we got to stop having foreign wars and it maybe we should move on from the arguments over marriage equality. Like, that sounds good to us. But the, the work of the movement in America has always been to weld these two strains of thought together. So it's like both don't let these uppity civil rights activists ruin everything, but also like nobody should get health insurance. And it's not like, I mean, all ideological projects involve a somewhat unnatural blending of things together. But it's like the, the role of the conservative movement is to create this contraption that they, it was called fusionism uh, in its, in its post-war heyday. And it, its demise has been oft predicted, right. uh, including during the early days of Donald Trump, but it's proven remarkably robust, right? Like for all Trump's seemingly off-message qualities, like, he's been a pretty good foot soldier. Like, one of the reasons never-Trumpism has been a kind of bust is that, like, Trump has delivered. And I, I would also argue that that it's also because Republicans have been more influential on Trump than Trump has necessarily been on Republicans. Right. You know, like, we, we stopped really having a conversation about health care for everybody and, you know, whenever, when Trump was talking about how, like, oh, you know, it's not that difficult to deal with the NRA. We can handle that. And, like, obviously the bump stock ban and a lot of other things have been very controversial among the gun rights community. But still, like, it's been a fairly easy friendship provided you just don't have to answer questions about what Trump says ever. But it, it's been – it's interesting to observe because I do think that – it's challenging to be a movement, and it's challenging to be a movement that is not entirely quite sure of where it wants to go or what it wants to do, or even if it's possible to get there. Because the inherent issue at the heart of conservatism is that what the world is like right now is not what it'll be like in the future, five, ten years from now. And that's just how it works. That's just how future works. That's how time works. And so basing a political ideology on, to quote William F. Buckley, standing athwart history yelling stop means that you have, you know, William F. Buckley's 
fervent defense of segregation in you know National Review in 1957, or National Review arguing that maybe the uh, 16th Street Baptist Church bombing in Birmingham, Alabama, that killed three little girls, may have been the work of a crazed Negro. You know, you've got things like that in which you're like, okay, you know, if we're going to stand to thwart history yelling stop, it means we're going to be yelling stop to a lot of things we should not be yelling stop to. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that—, that inherent tension of attempting to fo- looking backwards at something while always moving forward inherently is always going to be a challenge. Right. But I mean, to bring this back to Trump right. and Cons and Marco Rubio, to me, this is the interesting thing, right? Trump is running in the primary and he doesn't seem that attached to conservative philosophy. And Rubio's up there warning, this guy's a con man. But Trump wins, and now Rubio is a loyal Trump supporter. And I don't think that that's because Rubio has been conned by Donald Trump. And I don't really think it's because Rubio is afraid of Trump in the way that people sometimes posit it. It's because the conservative case for Trump is, like, actually pretty solid, right? Like, like. I am not a conservative, so I don't find Trump appealing. But if you believe that low taxes are important, if you believe that regulatory agencies should be business friendly in their dispositions, if you believe that abortion is wrong, right? Like Trump is delivering. He's putting the judges on the bench, blah, 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 blah. So they're welded. And it raises the question, like, one possibility is that Trump was actually a true blue conservative this whole time, right? And that's an interesting fairy tale. But, like, I don't think that makes sense. Another possibility is that the movement has, like, got over on Trump. That, right, that, like, well, they worried once upon a time that, like, Trump was going to con them. But really, they've conned Trump because Marco Rubio is way smarter than Donald Trump and way better at political manipulation. But I don't think that's quite right either. Like, Trump beat them, like, fair and square. Then there's the possibility that, like, what conservatism really requires is an excellent con man. And, like, I think that's... Where it is. And that like that ultimately is why it's not why Jacob Wall is out there in Minnesota, but it's why the the movement is not gonna close its door to grifters because it they need the best and brightest grifters, like Donald Trump. So I to sell the snake oil. I don't think that is why the conservative movement has a difficulty with grifters. I think um I think there are two things. One, the financial imperatives of conservatism work very differently from, quote unquote, mainstream media outlets. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, running a media outlet is expensive and difficult and challenging, as anyone who has ever attempted to do so knows. But there are incentives that are present for conservative media outlets that are not present for others. I've done some reporting on, say, conservative radio uh, consortiums that send memos to radio hosts saying, these are the people you can reference and these are the people you can't reference. Um, I also think, though, that there's kind of the distrust of gatekeepers. And, you know, I, I often tweet just the word guardrails on Twitter a lot because a lot of times there will be moments where you're like, why is this person hanging out with this person? Why is this actual white nationalist attending this fairly staid conservative conference? 
it is, in my view, the constant search for purity and the ability to to describe oneself as being more conservative than thou. You know, we see this in religious communities all the time in which it's very popular to be more so than someone else. It's very popular to be more Christian or more adequately Jewish, or in this case, more conservative. Even if your conservatism is based on a foundation of grifting people, you can still claim that, well, you know, I was in Minnesota standing athwart Sharia law police officers. Where were you? You're just, you're the real con because you're saying all this stuff, but you're not out there doing it. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're not a real conservative. And that's, I mean, I think that that's the most dangerous attack on any conservative is to describe them as not being a real conservative. And I think that that desire for purity, that constant chasing down of ideological purity is the real concern. And I think that you know, when you think of conservatism as an ideology, that's where you can have real differences of opinion in which you have a, a real conversation about like, you know, the difference between paleoconservatives and conservatarians. And then, you know, you can have this discussion, but when it's a movement, movements are driving towards something. And that something is generally a purer form of the movement. And that's where grifters can step in. All right. So hop into the Weeds Facebook group if you're there and and drive towards a pure form of Weeds fandom. Purge the dissenters. Uh, it's, it's what we're looking for. And if you happen to live in the Twin Cities area, uh, let us know where the no-go zones are. Uh, so we can we can check them out ourselves. Uh, if anybody wants to give me eight thousand dollars to fly to Minneapolis, I'm uh, I'm willing to make that sacrifice as well. Uh, so you know, and it, it, it's for three people. Apparently, it's twenty five thousand oh, dollars. So yes. I'm you know I'm sure Dara would be happy to join us. Yeah, for we, a trip. we we all go twenty five thousand dollars. We'll fly to Minneapolis and back and get some. Uh, get some foe while we're there. Perfect. Um, it's, it's delightful. Um, okay. Um, yeah. And so thanks, uh, Jane. And thanks to our producer, as always, Jeffrey Geld. And the weeds will return on Tuesday. <laughs>